Well, good morning, everyone. I'm going to ask you a question that might feel a little weird to be asked in church, but here's what it is. Who are the most beautiful people in the world? Most beautiful people. You might think of actors, actresses, right down front. Yeah, I think so. Hey, you're right up there in the conversation. Models, celebrities. Recently, a meme that's been circulating has shown what might be a redefined uh, version of beauty. Uh, this showed up on my social media feed. This is of the Kelsey brothers when they were in college. And you can read the fine print up top. It says, one of these guys was a finalist for Sexiest Man Alive. That's Jason number 60, believe it or not. And the other is dating Taylor Swift. And the person who shared it said, that means there's hope for you. But beauty truly is in the eye of the beholder, as it is said. And who's the most beautiful people in the world probably depends on how you define beauty. A few weeks ago, I shared Dallas Willard's definition of beauty as goodness made sensibly present. God's goodness made sensible to our five senses. It's a fascinating way of looking at it. So based on that, beauty has less to do with our physical features and far more to do with our character, who we ultimately are. And given this, it would lead Willard to make a rather unusual contention, but one I think that is right. In his book, The Divine Conspiracy, he says this, Some of the most beautiful people I have ever seen are elderly people whose souls shine so brightly that their bodies are hardly visible. People like Dorothy Day, Malcolm Muggeridge, Agnes Sanford, people who would quote, Dallas would quote like I quote Dallas. The natural beauty of the human being, listen to this, is given from the kingdom to every person who will receive it. We are unceasing spiritual beings with an eternal destiny in God's great universe. What a way of thinking about beauty. The most beautiful people are sometimes the, the oldest among us, not the people in their youthful prime or most in shape, but folks who have received a kind of impression and beauty that comes from beholding the beauty of God decade after decade, year after year, that has a transformative effect of their very being and essence that you almost can't even see what they look like because... Who they are seems to be so luminous and cut through any of the things that we would normally define beauty by. Such a powerful thought to have. At our Christmas Eve services coming up, uh, which I encourage you to bring your friends and family and neighbors to, it'll be an amazing time, a beautiful service. We'll be singing a great song that invites God to come into our hearts, the great hymn, Joy to the World, that says, Let every heart prepare him and I believe some of the folks that have been praying that prayer, opening their hearts year after year, decade after decade, are filled with God's beauty that changes their character in such a way that they shine like stars in the universe, as we're told in Philippians 2, to be those kind of people. And we believe this kind of living a good and beautiful life is the result of living a with God life. This year we said from Genesis to Revelation, the Bible is all about this life with God. And what kind of impact will a life with God have on you? I would contend it would lead you to live 
a better and more beautiful life for the sake of others. And today, we're going to look at a person who is a big part of the Christmas story. After Jesus is born, we'll meet a couple older saints in the faith, one of whom is 84 years old. And I believe her life is radiant, the result of preparing room for God in her heart year after year, decade after decade, that can paint an example for us of who we might become into our 80s and how we might better honor those in our midst who, who are older, who are going before us, so that aging is not something that we should resent or cringe at the thought of, but something that we can embrace, thinking what God might do over the course of our life together. And the person we're going to be studying and seeing how God works through her life, her name is four letters spelled A-N-N-A. Now, living in New England, I realize it can be a little controversial how you pronounce that name. How would you say the name A-N-N-A? Just say it out loud right now, wherever you are. Wow. Last service, there was a lot of Annas. Anybody an Anna person here? All right. Yeah, some. Anna people. They seem like more of the majority. Uh, I would, if you said Anna, I think you're right. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. I have a couple of good friends who are on us, so no offense. But I grew up hearing Anna, so I'm going to read this story as, as Anna. I will pronounce her name that way. And we're going to discover how her good and beautiful life, through the work of the Holy Spirit, can help us to live good and beautiful lives for the sake of others as well. A big heart of what this Christmas season, Advent season, is really all about. So if you have a Bible, I invite you to turn with me to the third book in the New Testament, Luke chapter 2. And we're going to read the whole context related to Anna's life, a little bit about Simeon and Jesus' dedication. You know, this next weekend, we'll kind of rewind a little bit to the birth of Christ. But if you are able and willing, you can follow along on the screens as well. But please stand as we hear the very words of God from Luke 2. We'll start with verse 22 and read through verse 38. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took Jesus to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it was written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was with him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what was the custom the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many will be of their hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel, the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God 
and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Israel. These are the very words of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. I love this story of Anna that her whole life is encapsulated in four verses, four sentences. Just imagine your life was going to be summarized in four sentences, four verses. What would you want them to say? Some of that is outside of our control. Difficult things can happen that can arise. But how we respond is largely within our realm of, of control. And I love the story of Anna. It's not a picture-perfect story by any stretch. But through her story, we see how God helps form and shape her to live a good and beautiful life through her pain, through her pursuit of God, and through the spiritual practices that we read about that were integral to her life. So I want to talk about beauty through pain, beauty through pursuit of God, and beauty through spiritual practice as we examine Anna's life. First, beauty through pain. In case you lost track of the reading, here is what was said about the opening lines of her life. There was also a prophet, Anna. And a prophet's not just somebody who foretells the future, but they can also, what's called forthtelling, really speak God's word to people to expose some of their blind spots, help reveal some of the ways that we might be off track so that we can better align our lives with the way of Jesus. She was a prophet, the daughter of Penuel, the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. There's a lot of heartbreak packed into those two sentences, isn't there? Isn't there? Quite a story behind what is shared here. And yet all the heartbreak that Anna would have inevitably experienced, she does not allow that to break her heart, to break her life, to break her pursuit of God apart. She allows God to redeem her pain powerfully, likely over many, many decades. Women in that age and that era probably would get married more in their teenage years. So you imagine seven years, she's maybe into her early 20s when her husband passes, probably living as a widow for 60 years. And an 84-year-old life back then was, was rather significant in length. I think she gives a pretty powerful example about how we can engage some of the heartache and the heartbreak in our lives that inevitably comes as well. Typically in our culture, I think we respond to suffering in one of two more extreme ways. Many of us avoid the suffering and the heartache and the pain that we experience. It's too painful to feel those emotions, so we kind of try and shove them down. We keep ourselves busy, distracted. We don't have to feel them. We kind of sweep them under the rug, and so we try and almost make our suffering nothing by avoiding it at all costs. On the other side of the uh, spectrum is we kind of become obsessors of our suffering and our pain. If avoiders try to make pain and suffering nothing, obsessors make it everything. It's the lens through which we almost see everything in life. I have been wronged. I have been hurt. I have been let down. I have been disappointed. And so rather than allowing some of that suffering to refine and make us better, we instead allow it to make us bitter, hardened, and we see everything through a negative, negative lens. Somehow we like the anger we feel 
more than we really would like the love of God touching our hearts in some ways. We keep ourselves angry and obsessed and replay over and over again the ways that we were wrong. But I believe there's a third way. Rather than obsessing, making it everything, rather than avoiding it, trying to make it nothing, we can see suffering that is something. It is significant. It is life-impacting. We can engage it rather than avoid it or obsess over it when we talk to God about it and we allow him to meet us in the moments and the places where we hurt the most. And I believe that is what Anna does. And as we allow our pain to be put before the Lord, we give him room and opportunity to transform our hearts and our lives. Because as I hear it said often, pain that is not transformed is pain that is transferred toward others. How can we engage this with God? I think one of the perspectives we need to keep in mind is what uh, the book of James, chapter 1, tells us about suffering. Verses 1 to 2, it says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Don't be surprised when they come. It's not if you face trials of many kinds, but when. What does it mean to rejoice or consider it pure joy? Like, this is really great uh, that this terrible thing is happening. I'm going to fake it till I fake it. No, that's not joy. That might be wishful thinking. Joy is a pervasive sense of well-being. It says that even though everything around me is not okay, it is still possible for me to be well off because I am held, I am known, I am loved by the great shepherd who cares for me and is with me. You'll remember one of the most famous texts of all the Bible, Psalm 23, gives us some of the most evocative, memorable language that even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will not fear. Why? For you are with me. God's with you. And what happens when we stay with God, even in the midst of our unwanted pain and circumstances that we would never choose? Verse 3, it says, Why consider it pure joy? Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Perseverance in Greek is this idea of bearing underneath the weight of something on your shoulders. Anyone feel like they're carrying significant weight and responsibility today that doesn't seem like it has an end point to it? As you're carrying that weight, perseverance is I'm going to keep walking not just toward God but with God, knowing he will provide for me today the things I need today. And what's the impact of perseverance, as this text says? Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. To be mature, to be complete, that's a good, that's a beautiful way of living. And somehow in God's design, he just allows us to go through mysteriously much pain, much suffering that can be transformative. That we can be people that even though everything around us isn't the way we would want, we can still lack nothing. That's powerful. That is profound. When we are transformed in this way throughout our life, it kind of brings a beauty of humility to us that we keep pressing on even though we walk with a limp, even though our bodies ache, even though there are some challenging narratives to our stories as well. This year of 84 has stuck with me a lot this week because earlier on Monday I got to 
had spent some time with my 84-year-old mentor, Gordon McDonald, and his wife, Gail, and a group of lead pastors that they helped mentor. And we had dinner in Concord, New Hampshire, and it was just a wonderful time to, to be with them. And, and on our way out, we were talking in the parking lot when the McDonald's were in the car, and, and Gordon did something that was surprising. He kind of went like this, kind of blew a, blew a kiss to us. I don't typically make a habit of doing that toward other people, but as, as we saw that, one of the older pastors in the group said, there's something just so profound about an older person sharing that kind of tender love to his friends. And then he said, as we age, isn't it true that we become more of who we were all along? That becomes more visible. That if maybe behind the scenes we've been angry and bitter and curmudgeon that we seem to get a little crustier, you know, with our age as we get into those later years. But also, if we've had a heart that's been pursuing God and we're filled with love and joy and peace, that starts to reveal itself in a different way as well. And that image is really stuck with us, struck me of, I hope that as I would, God would give me that many more years of my life, that, that love and goodness and God's beauty might just shine forth through me. And there are examples of people that do have a luminosity to their lives that you kind of forget what they're even looking like because you're just sensing God's presence in and through them more and more. Aging is not something we have to deny or avoid, but can maybe get a new vision for what would be possible over a lifetime of following Jesus fully like that. And the way next that Anna, I think, grows in, in the pain and the disappointment of our life is she experiences this kind of beauty through the pursuit of God, beauty through pursuit. In Tim Keller's great book called Walking with God Through Grief and Suffering, he makes a fascinating observation that I think is right. And when we go through pain and suffering in our own lives, it typically has one of kind of two impacts on many of us. For some people, pain and suffering drives them away from God. But for many others, pain and suffering can drive us to God in an ever-deepening way. When you think about how you've suffered, has it caused you to veer away from God or has it brought you closer to Him? And Anna makes the choice to respond by pursuing God. Verse 37 says, she never left the temple. Never left the temple. Now, the temple was a place symbolic for where God's presence would be. So being in the temple was a way of saying, God, I want to physically be as near to you as I possibly can to pursue you, to love you, to, 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 to be with you. Now, what's powerful today is while, we, yes, we can pursue God and churches and places of worship like this because Jesus died uh, on the cross, as he says, it is finished. What happened is that curtain in that temple was torn, symbolizing that it's no longer just priests or religious people that have the most access to God, but everyone everywhere can come close to God right where they are, right as they are. If we'll only look to him, only seek him. One of the heartbreaking stories of Scripture is uh, we talked about over the summer is how God's people, through their disobedience, were taken into exile to live away from the Holy Land, the, the Israel and Jerusalem. And in the midst of exile, God gave them an incredible promise that the prophet Jeremiah tells them. 
He says, one day I'm going to bring you back. One day you'll be able to return home. I have a hope and a future for you. But in Jeremiah 29, verses 13 and 14, it says this about seeking, about pursuing God. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. Not part of your heart, not half-heartedly, with all of your heart. You will seek me and you will find me. And I love God's promise. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. To be found by God. What a promise. Hope, what an invitation. The path of constant seeking is the life of faith that God intends for you and for me to be God pursuers. And we don't just want to pursue God for what we can get from God. The goal of seeking God is not to get blessings from God, the goal of seeking God is to get Him, it's to deepen our walk with Him to prepare him room so that he draws close. So rather than allowing God to be driven away from us while we suffer and hurt, we allow us an opportunity to draw close and closer and closer to him. Now you might have been hoping for a little bit more of an uplifting message today, and that'll come on Christmas. But one of the reasons the church has these four weeks of Advent leading to Christmas is Advent is waiting for this arrival, waiting for the dawn to break through the darkness, that we actually sit in some of our disappointments and some of our heartaches so that a longing for God can grow and, and develop, that we would want to want Him more, not just what He can give us. So I'm kind of allowing us to settle into the discomfort of what we're talking about a little bit so that our hearts would be enlarged with a deeper desire and passion for pursuing God. And how can we pursue God? through spiritual practices, beauty through practice. I love how it talks about what did Anna do while she's in the temple. It says she never left the temple, but worshiped night and day, fasting and praying. So why do we do things like worship and fast and pray and serve and study and experience fellowship together? While we live in this visible world, these spiritual practices are almost like gateways that we can experience more of the spiritual world that we cannot see, but as every bit is real, we can experience more of God and his kingdom as we open our lives through these spiritual practices that help us access God who has made himself accessible to us through his death and his resurrection for everyone who would want to pursue him. That's available to us. Now, I could give lengthy sermon series on each of these uh, practices, but let's just summarize them for a moment. Maybe one of these things is a nudge to you for how you might continue to pursue God or maybe pursue Him in a new way during this season and this time of your life. What's worship? Worship is expressing in words, music, rituals, and silent adoration the greatness, beauty, and goodness of God by means of which we enter into the supernatural reality of the glory of God. One of the reasons I love to gather together in corporate worship is sometimes how other people are singing, how other people are pursuing God elevates my passion and desire for God as well. Sometimes you don't always feel like doing it, even when you're a preacher. There's other things that you're battling and grappling with, weight that you're carrying. But sometimes getting to be around a room of other people worshiping God, it lifts my soul and helps me to behold God because as I behold Him in my, in my heart and my mind, we become more like what the things that we behold and give our undivided attention to. 
So when we're worshiping God, we can become more and more like Christ. Secondly, fasting is something that she's doing, which is the voluntary abstention from an otherwise normal function, most often eating for the sake of intense spiritual activity. In other words, the things that we normally run on, food, beverages, Dunkins, right? I saw some of that here today. We're going to say we're not going to allow our lives to, rem- to just run on these human man-made things. But there is a source, a strength, a power, an energy that comes from beyond us that can fill us with the strength to embody and embolden our souls uh, for, for God to work through us. And so Anna, rather than trying to find unhealthy ways of coping with their grief or her suffering, she actually eliminates some of those things that she might draw on the life-giving resources of God more and more. Maybe there's an opportunity for you to skip a meal here and there and say, God, I need you. Or maybe there's a Lent to say, you know, I'm going to stay off social media uh, because it's not doing great things for me. And I want to I find my truth and my, my source of life from God instead of, of my, the world around me. Fasting. And thirdly, she prays. I love this definition of prayer that comes from the Life of God Bible. Prayer is interactive conversation with God about what we and God are thinking and doing together. Talking to God about what you're doing together, which means we don't need to avoid talking about our suffering with God. We don't just want to obsess over it and kind of draw God away from us as well. But we name what we're feeling, what we're going through, how we're hurting, how we're anxious When we talk to God about these things, God comes near, he ministers to our hearts, and we start to realize, even though I might not have what I want, or I might, uh, you know, want things I don't have, God is there with me, and that can give me strength. That can give me what today, the things that I need today. So we pray to God. How might you pursue God, and, and through spiritual practice, even amidst whatever pain or disappointment you might be carrying or walking with? today. It's interesting that this age 84 keeps being a number that shows up in my mind. Gordon is uh, one of my mentors, has been just hand-selecting some of the books from his library that he's not reading any longer at this season of his life and and giving them to me uh, to, to read. And it's been fascinating not just to read the books that he's given me, but to read some of the notes that he writes in these books as well. And one of the books he gave me that I just finished is uh, a memoir by an author named Malcolm Muggeridge called Confessions of a 20th Century Pilgrim. Muggeridge is, uh, is an English man who was a journalist and came to faith through an encounter of someone whose name you'll likely know, who wasn't known at the time, wasn't famous, but when he was doing journalistic work in Calcutta, India, came across a nun Sisters of Charity, named Mother Teresa. And she played an instrumental role in his life and his faith journey. And here's some of the things that, that Muggeridge writes about Mother Teresa. She says, when I first set eyes on her, which is now some 15 years ago, it would have been around 1973, the occasion was a casual interview. I at once realized that I was in the presence of someone of unique quality. This was not due to her appearance, which is homely and unassuming, so that words like charm or charisma do not apply. 
nor to her shrewdness and quick understanding, though these were very marked, nor even to her manifest piety and true humility and ready laughter. There is a phrase in one of the Psalms that always, for me, evokes her presence. The beauty of holiness. The beauty of holiness. That special beauty amounting to a kind of pervasive luminosity generated by a life dedicated to holy, loving God and his creation. This, I imagine, is what the halos and medieval paintings of saints were intended to convey. Who's the most beautiful people? People that possess this beauty of holiness. It was like a, a luminosity that you couldn't almost see her physical appearance because something about her presence, her with God life, is what spoke most, what communicated most. And what's powerful about this example is later, and I quoted this at the very beginning of my message, Dallas Willard says Malcolm Muggeridge is one of those same people himself. A life that was radically transformed as he aged, as he became an octogenarian himself. And that kind of transformation is possible and available to us when we want that kind of life, to become those kind of people, to allow God, as we make room for him to dwell in our hearts, he can change and reorganize and help imbue us with goodness and joy and beauty. A French novelist, and I'll wrap up with this, who is a Christian, has this to say about our life's pursuits. He says, the only real sadness, his name's Leon Beloy, the only real sadness, the only real failure, the only great tragedy in life is not to become a saint. Now, often we think of saints like Mother Teresa, but when we think about saints, we should think about people just like you and me. Because of Christ's death, his resurrection, his imminent return, we are declared to be righteous in God's sight. We are declared to be holy, which makes us saints. Our life's pursuit, then, is to become the kind of people in actuality that reflect who God already sees us to be. And that kind of life, which takes decades and decades and often enduring and persevering through pain and trial, can leave us at the later stages of our lives to be people to be admired, people whose luminosity of God's light shining through them can be a powerful witness to the world around us. That's what happened for Malcolm Muggeridge as he encountered Mother Teresa. I believe that's why the scriptures honor Anna by linking her with the birth of Jesus to help us maybe rethink how we view aging and the elderly in our midst. And instead of something to be ignored or resented, to be something that we would pursue so that we, like Anna, we, like some of my friends at McDonald's, we, like Muggeridge or others, that we might have the kind of character that would shine so brightly of God's love that we would grow into aging to become beautiful people for God's greater glory and for the sake of those around us. What an invitation for you and for me this Advent. Let's pray together. God, thank you so much that for how your word helps us to value what the world often takes for granted. While aging can be painful and difficult, while our biographies can be filled with pages of disappointments, pain and suffering does not have to be the last word for us. We know when Christ comes again, 
There will be no more tears, no more suffering, no more disease, no more death. And so, God, we pray for that unshakable hope that in the midst of hardship, in the midst of heartache and heartbreak, we might pursue you. We might prepare you room through prayer, fasting, worship, service, giving, that you might live and dwell among us and that we might be powerful, beautiful witnesses for the fact that you are not distant, but you are near and that you are with us. Help us to live good and beautiful lives with you for your greater glory. It's in Christ's name. Everyone prayed together and said, amen.